So I want you to for imagine for a moment that um, you, um, with the World Cup on, is that you are a soccer fanatic. And I know with Josue here, we at least have one. Hopefully there are more. Edwin, except, I mean, wrong country. Um, um, but imagine that that you, you, you desired to be on the, on the stage in the World Cup in Qatar right now, and you, you had studied all of the history of soccer, which goes back, like, honestly, over a thousand years. But, like, when people are kicking, that's the first, like, sports where people kicking balls around, and you studied the history of soccer, you, you studied the 150-year history of, the, like, the modern game of soccer and how the field developed, the dimensions, the tactics, the reasons why it was developed in that way, um, the origins, um, the truths that, that create good offenses and good defenses um, and good technique. And then you walked up and you said, hey, so I'm a soccer player. And they said, well, what do you, like, what do you, how, how, like, shows your skills. And you're like, well, you know, I actually have never played soccer before, but I've studied it a lot. And I know everything about soccer. I can tell you anything about like how best to kick the ball, get the right velocity on, on a kick, to get right right in the right in the upper ninety, to kick a to kick a um, um, to kick a penalty shot to win. And they say, but you've never played. I'm like, no, I don't think I need to. Um, that wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? You'd be confused, and you certainly wouldn't make any. I mean, I don't even think you'd make a high school soccer team uh, unless you grew up like in rural Minnesota, like me. They probably let you play, um, but they certainly not not around here, and certainly not at the highest level. Um, the same is, is true for the Christian life, that we can know all of the, um, the facts, all of the doctrine, all of our position as a Christian in, in the scope of eternity. But without putting it into practice, it misses the point. And that is really the book of Ephesians. The first half of it, Paul talks at length about our position in Christ. He gives us the theological truths for the hope that is within us. And we've studied that. We made it all the way through um, to chapter 3, and now we're in chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul changes his focus from our position in Christ to our practice in Christ because he knows, just like any soccer coach knows, any soccer player knows, that you have to have the knowledge there, but then to, to be what you claim to be, you have to put it into practice. That's the evidence of it. Um, and so that's where we find ourselves. Um, we started in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, where we saw about how do we practice unity. You remember even back, all the way back to chapter 2, we were talking about the, the division that there is in the church. There is the Jews, and then there was everyone else, the Gentiles. But because Christ brought them all together... There are things that needed to get worked out. How do I live in a united body? So Paul starts with, okay, so I told you about how we're united. Now, how does that play out? And then starting in verse 17, after he covered how we practice unity, he starts discussing how we're going to practice holiness. And in verses 17 through 24, we studied how we practice holiness by putting off the old man how we put off sin, how we put off how we used to live, that we walk no longer as the Gentiles walk according to the flesh, but that we walk in newness of life. And now, starting in verse 25 and following, there are going to be six ways that we, six means that we put on the new man. And Paul's going to do it 
with the same formula in each of the examples. He's going to tell us what to put off. He's going to tell us what to put on, and he's going to give us a reason why we should do that, at least one reason why. Um, so that's what we're going to see tonight in Ephesians 4, chapter 25. And I just want to give us a little run up to verse 25. I won't read all the way from verse 17, but I do want to start in verse 20. So if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20, we'll be studying verse 25. But let's get a head start. Paul wrote, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, here's our verse, therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So you see, Paul, in the lead, in the lead up to our passage today, he, he gives us a number of, of, of reasons or a number of practical things we can do to put off the old man. And then when he has done that, he gets to the business. He says, okay, so here is how we're going to start putting on righteousness. And the first of the six examples he gives us is to... Speak the truth. And that's the title of our lesson tonight. Speak the truth. And our first point is, how do you do that? One, if you're going to put something off, well, you need to stop deceiving. So point number one in our lesson today is stop deceiving. Paul starts out in verse 25. He says, therefore, so knowing everything I just told you about putting off sin, laying aside falsehood. Laying aside falsehood. Um, so falsehood is just another word for a lie. It's something that's not true. It's something that is deceitful or deceiving. Um, it's a simple, a simple definition is an assertion of something known or believed by the speaker or writer to be untrue with the intent to deceive. An assertion of something known or believed by the writer or speaker believed to be true with the intent to deceive. And so the first question, I just want to ask a number of questions of this text, because we only have one verse to look at, so it can seem like this is a pretty simple, pretty simple lesson, right? I should stop, stop lying and start telling the truth. And if that's all you got from the lesson today, like, you're doing pretty good. Like, that's, that's the application of our lesson today. Like, spoiler alert, stop lying and start telling the truth. If we all do that, we're applying what Paul writes. But there's a lot of things we can pull out of this text. So the first thing I, I want to talk about is why stop deceiving? Why is this, why is this here? Well, reason number one, I, I believe, is, is, is this is so important. It's the first item that Paul brings up is it is at the root of man's fall. Deception is. Turn to Genesis 3. Turn to Genesis 3 with me. We're going to do a little bit of Bible turning today, so hopefully you're ready. Um, Genesis 3 should be an easy one to find. Hopefully you can get there. Genesis 3, the first sin that is recorded in the Bible is a lie. Did you ever think about that? The first sin that's recorded on the pages of Scripture, not that happened, but the first sin recorded in Scripture is a lie. And there's actually three of them recorded. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Did you catch that? Satan 
lied about what God had said and intended. Look at Genesis 3, 4. Eve kind of shot that one down. And then he said, the serpent said to the woman, you, you will surely not die. Now, if you question that, well, was Genesis 3, 1 really a lie, or was he just asking a question about what God said? I would say it's clearly a lie, but in chapter in verse 4, clearly the serpent is lying to Eve. And then the next verse, he, he says something that's just not true about God. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He says, listen, God doesn't want you to do this because he's, he just doesn't want any competition. And he knows if you eat this, this fruit, you're going to be like him. See, deception is at the root of our fallen nature because it was a deception that brought sin into the world. It deceived Eve, and through her deception, caused Adam to sin and bring sin into the world. That's why Jesus called Satan the father of lies. It very, very may well be that that was the first lie. I mean, if you use a, a sanctified imagination, as Pastor Tom often talks about, maybe the first, the first, well, the first sin was probably pride because Satan thought he was better than God, but out of that flowing and bringing a legion of angels with him and deceiving them to follow him. And falsehood is so powerful. Just think of this. Deceit is so powerful, it convinced two sinless humans in perfect holy communion to doubt God's goodness, reject his law, and then take action in defiance of their creator. So deception is serious. I would say, tying into this, deception is so powerful in our lives that Jeremiah writes, the heart is deceitful and deceptive. And is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So even when we're judging our own thoughts and intentions, and this is really difficult as we approach this lesson, our heart isn't the best measure of what's true or not, even in our own lives. But the second reason uh, I believe that uh, this is an important thing is that God hates lies. That's our second reason of why, why should we stop deceiving. God hates lies. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverb come, comes right after Psalms. I know we haven't, we haven't got to the Old Testament Bible quizzing yet. It comes right after Psalms. Proverbs chapter 6, and look at verse 16. Verse 16, and, and following here for a second, Solomon writes um, what are some often quoted verses but are incredibly powerful. He wrote, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. That was really hard to say because my, my, my daughter has a song that we listen to and sings this verse, and it's the ESV. And it like, but I, so, so I had to stumble through that a little bit. Um, but notice that lying is the only sin in this list of seven things that God absolutely hates that is mentioned twice. Did you catch that? First one is a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. And this is related to lies about oneself or things that are just settled factual truth. Your knowledge, lying about your knowledge and abilities, facts related to physical things, saying the sky is, the sky is green when it's clearly not. That type of lie. Facts related to events and circumstances or even your, your intentions. The same four-year-old asks her, did you mean to push your sister? And she says, nope. That's the kind of lying that Paul is talking about, or that Solomon references. But there's a second type of lie mentioned that God also hates, and it's a false witness. This is someone that lies about other people. Slander and libel are the words that we talk about. Lies that are spoken 
to defame someone and lies that are written. So lying about someone's intentions, their actions, their thoughts, what they were doing. It's also lies about inflating a person's perception about someone else. You could be lying about someone else. This happens all the time in the media. We place someone up to be greater than they are or smaller than they are, but they're not true. It's bearing false witness. So, so we see that first we should stop deceiving because one, it's at the root of man's fall. Second, God hates it. It's sin. And God hates sin. So if, we're, if we should stop deceiving, another good question is, well, what is it? What is deceit? So you can put that as, as, a, as another subpoint here. What is deceit? In lying, deception can manifest itself in a number of different ways. The first of which is probably what you think of. I call it an outright lie, or some people call it a bald-faced lie. Um, that's bald with an A. It's not with an O. It's not a, there's no such thing as a bold-faced lie. It's a bald-faced lie. Um, and that's an obvious, shameless lie. Um, and one that the liar makes little or no effort to disguise as true. That would be a bald-faced lie. Like, there's, I mean, it's, good, it's easy to use your kids as an example because it's not you. Uh, but there's just stuff strewn across the floor. There's a box of cereal, right? This was a commercial growing up. And, like, the kid poured cereal in the bowl and then took the whole gallon of milk and dumped it in. And you walk in there and be like, Art, did you pour milk all over the floor? And you're just like, nope. No one else is in there. Okay, like bald-faced lie, like just high-handed, I'm just going to lie. And like no one, no one, like you didn't even believe the lie, right? But then there's also all right lies where you just lie like, hey, did you go to work? Did you clean your room? No. Didn't clean my room. And you didn't even start it. That's an outright lie. But it's more complicated than that outright lies because most people when they say like, um, Hey, have you, like if you walk someone through the Ten Commandments, see if they've ever sinned. Hey, Caleb, have you ever told a lie? Yeah. And then it's okay, you call yourself a liar. And then what do most people say? It's like, well, but the lies I tell really aren't a big deal. Like, they're kind of white lies. And a white lie is when someone tells another person a lie that they consider harmless. And they'll, will usually justify it by saying, I think it's helpful because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, I told my wife I was going to use this example, but she came before church on Sunday. She walked out in a dress, and she's like, "What do you think of it?" And like any man, I took a deep breath, um, and because I'm like, you don't ask me that question very often, so this is a real question or a setup. And I was so I was like, she clearly saw that I was in pain, and she's like, "No, I really want to know your opinion." And I was like, I, "Like it's not your it's not the best. And it was brand new, so like so we returned it, we saved the money, but." A lot of times you'll say, like, the question is, is like, does this make me look big, right? And you're just like, well, of course it doesn't. And why do you say that? Even if it's a lie, even if it does. Well, it's because I don't want to hurt your feelings. But the, does that justify us telling a non-truth to telling a lie? No, it doesn't. And what it, what's even more convicting about that is we justify that lie by saying, I don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Really, I think if we're honest, we tell white lies because we don't want to be the uncomfortable person that has to tell them the truth and have the awkward conversation. But we'll get to how to make that easier. I mean, you, if someone says, does this make me look, look bad? You don't say, yeah, you look disgusting. I mean, you can speak the truth in love, right? And you're like, you know, it's not your best, but I think you, like, this is great, right? Um, or was that, what did you think about that, that play out there? Be like, yeah, you, I mean, you did everything wrong. You caught the ball, but, I mean, it was a total flop, right? We can say things nicer. We don't have to be like, 
yeah, it was great, because it's not the truth. Um, Psalm 58.3 says this, The wicked are estranged from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. That's what Scripture has to say about people who just speak lies. And that would include white lies. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from you deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. So even with small little lies, we should, according to this Proverbs 4.24, we should put them away. We should set it aside. We don't want any deceit in our mouth. But how else do we make outright lies? I think it's, it's more than more than the, the bald-faced lie or just, just a, a direct denial of the truth or some, some seemingly harmful lie that we, try to pro- we think we're trying to protect someone. There's also lies of omission, which are deceiving someone by telling only the partial truth, and you leave out the most crucial information. And when I say that, um, the, the, the example that comes to mind from, the script, from Scriptures is Aaron and the calf. It's, it's actually comical. When you go to Exodus 32... Um, and so Moses is coming down from the mountain, right? He's been up there, gotten the Ten Commandments. Aaron and all these people, they've had this huge party, right? They, they threw all their jewelry in a, in a molten pit, and they're going to make a golden calf. And, and Aaron comes down, or Moses comes down, and he's like, did you make that calf? And Aaron's response in verse 24, he said, I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. That's true. That's true. He didn't say anything that wasn't true, except he left out the important detail that he orchestrated the entire thing. That it was his idea that he said, hey, we should do this so we have a God to worship. So we can lie by leaving out critical facts, because clearly Moses is going to be more mad and one, if it, they just, like, the calf just came out and be like, well, I mean, how could you have expected that when you put all this gold jewelry in this molten fire, that the calf was going to pop out? I mean, you shouldn't have worshipped it, but who would have known the calf would come out? But clearly, that's not what happened. Or how about exaggeration? Exaggeration can, can be lies that are based on the truth, but are built up to increase the intensity of a person's desired outcome, right? The classic example is everyone's got a, a dad or grandparent that loves to fish, right? And you always hear the story about this massive fish that really couldn't have been as big as it was. But we, make, we exaggerate things because we want more of a reaction. Um, even, this is actually, in my life, I've seen this from people that are really successful, and it's just incredible that success, when you're successful, like, to you, it seems like it's not enough, and so they'll even exaggerate more to embellish more on on the great things that that we've done, and we don't need to. We just have to speak the truth, or another way to to lie like this is minimization, so it's the opposite, right? You take someone, you you will lie by talking about something, you minimize its effects to not scare someone, Um, like, um, you mean, think of like the opposite, essentially, of what happened with COVID, where you say like, hey, this disease, you know, it's not a big deal. You can go over there, like touch the button, or like tell someone, yeah, you, can go you, you might not want to touch the button, but I don't think it'll hurt too bad. Um, and then they touch it, and then they get totally zapped, right? Um, that's another way that we can do that. And then, uh, so those are some ways we can outright lie. Another type of lie is a false promise. So we had outright lies, where that's like you're not really, you're trying to cover it up a little bit, but you're just... You're, lying, you're telling a lie. A false promise is, is a promise you make to someone that you have no intention of keeping or ability to keep. Um, and Jesus talked about this in Matthew 4, 9. He said, again, that it was, this was Satan taking Jesus up. And, and the, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
and said to him, all these things I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. That's a false promise. Satan, one, couldn't do that, and two, he wasn't going to do it even if Jesus did, right? He just wanted to get him to sin so he couldn't redeem his people. Or think of Jacob and Laban, where Jacob wanted to marry one of Laban's daughters, and Laban's like, cool, do this, and then he like set him up with the wrong daughter, and so he got to do it again. Or Pharaoh said, yeah, Moses, I'll let your people go after this one. And then he didn't. Those are false promises. Jesus said this to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold on the temple is obligated. MacArthur had this to say, um, there is an arbitrary distinction the Pharisees had made, which gave them a sanctimonious justification for lying with impunity. What they do is they would swear by something that they say, hey, this doesn't count. It was like the Pharisee version of like having your finger crossed behind your back. Like if you swear by this, it doesn't count, but if, you, if your fingers aren't crossed, then it's good. Um, it's, a, it's a false oath, by the way. Like you can't, like th- this isn't, isn't a real thing. I mean, you can't cross your fingers and it doesn't count. I don't know who came up with that. Um, and scripture, it also forbids false promises. Psalm 20, um, this isn't really Psalm 23. Uh, no, it is Psalm 23, 3 and 4. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Who has a, he who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Scripture prohibits false promises. Another type of deceit is flattery. That's making statements to others that you don't mean with the intent of making a good impression. Like, Edwin, I really love your soccer shirt that you wore today. If I was honest about that when he was standing back there, if I would have said that, that would have been a lie. But no, like we don't wear Mexico shirts here. This is Texas. We wear Team USA. It's okay. Huh? So, flattery, right, it's not a good excuse to, and that's why, that's why I always have Michael's back with the Broncos, because they beat Green Bay in Super Bowl 32, so I have a little bit of respect there for the Broncos. None for the Cowboys, uh, but that's aside. So, flattery, it's, it's when, you, when you try to make someone else feel good by lying to them. Um, Psalm 62, 4 says, They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. So th- this is going around, and you say nice things to people to their face, and then you turn around, and you talk bad about them behind their back because what you were saying to them isn't true. And the gossip you're doing is a different sin, but also the lies you told the, the person whom you, you didn't believe those things about them, that's flattery, that's deceit. You're lying to them. So it, that's something that we should put off. Flatterers hate, and this is something that's interesting. In scripture, flatterers hate the truth. Proverbs 26, 24 says, He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. People that walk around filled with hatred, very few of them just spew it out on people. Very few of them. Most of them, they walk around, they'll talk to you like they're your friend. And it's only from someone else that you hear that they actually have a problem because they disguise it with flattery to you. And a fourth, and probably the most dangerous for us here, is the lie of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. A hypocrite's a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. See, Christian, this is crucial for us. We cannot be hypocrites. Our profession must be our practice. Let me, let me say that again. Our profession must be our practice. And a hypocrite is a liar because he pretends to be something he knows he isn't. A liar, a hypocrite is a liar because he pretends to be something he knows he isn't. Matthew 23, 
Jesus said. This is verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he continued, he said, Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and people who walk over them are unaware of it. So hypocrisy is dangerous in a couple of ways. One of them, it, you are lying about who you are to other people by pretending. And second, you can actually pull other people astray by them coming in and engaging with you and thinking that what you're doing is okay. That's the idea with these, white, white, with these concealed tombs, because if you were a Jew and you stepped on a grave or you came in contact with the dead, you would be unclean and you need to go to a priest and be made clean. Well, if it's a concealed tomb and you walk over it, you're now unclean, but you don't even know it. You don't even know it, so you're just walking around unaware that you are ceremonially unclean and you're breaking God's laws as you engage in other things. So if you're here today and you and this hypocrisy is you and you're playing the part of a Christian and while you're here, everything's great. It's like, yeah, go Jesus, I believe all this. You're in your accountability groups. You talk it up. And you're at school, you're, you're around your parents, and you, you act the part of what you think a Christian should be. We're, we're, do, we're, right? we're saying, yeah, I read my Bible. Yeah, I, lo- I love God. I, I, don't listen, I don't watch things I shouldn't watch. I don't listen to things that I shouldn't listen to. But when they're not around, you mock the truth, practice sin, and knowingly are rejecting your truth in the heart the whole time while you're even sitting here. Like, none of this is important. You can play it up all you want. You can act any way you want. But inside, like the Pharisees, you're full of dead man's bones. You're just lying. Your whole life is an outward lie. You're pretending. And God can see through it. There's no greater hypocrite than Judas. We don't have time to um, read this whole passage, but... um, you know that um, Judas got irate because someone used expensive perfume on Jesus, right? And, and he, after this whole episode, John says, Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was in it. See, Judas, it's like, we could have cared for all, so, many, so many poor people with this, but really he just wanted to steal some of the money. A lot of us treat our faith like that, where... Yeah, we want something out of it, but then we're not going to actually act in line in accordance with it. Well, that is what we should stop doing. We should stop deceiving in those ways. Turn back to Ephesians 4. Well, if we should stop deceiving, then what should we do? Well, we should speak the truth. We should speak the truth. And so Paul continues... He says, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. He's quoting here Zechariah 8.16, which is an interesting passage because it is the, four, the third of four messages Zechariah has. And this one is specifically about what will characterize the people in Zion, the people in the New Jerusalem. So to say... What we should do, Paul goes to a defining text, what a Jew would know as a defining text for what God's people will be like when he returns. And he starts out to say that you should speak the truth. 
truth will define the new Jerusalem. Well, first, we have to ask the question then, what is the truth? There's no, we're just going to continue asking some questions here of this text. What is the truth? Well, the dictionary would define it as anything which is true, obviously, or in accordance with fact or reality. Anything which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. I thought this was really interesting. So if you look... Um, if you have Bible software, um, and it'll create a graph of like how often a word appears. Um, so I charted the, the word truth in the Bible, and it's pretty, it's pretty sparse in there, which is interesting. It's, it doesn't appear as often as you think. But then in Psalms, through the roof, and then in the next book that's just behind it is the Gospel of John. The, the, the idea of truth is central in John's gospel and what he talks about Jesus. Um, and so John, in, in John 18, 37 and 38... Um, quotes um, this fascinating, fascinating exchange between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And Pilate asks Jesus, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you, you correctly say that I am a king, for I have been born, and for this, for this I've been born, and for this I've come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pontius Pilate responds to him sarcastically and says, what is truth? What is truth? What a fascinating thing to say to someone who, who, who is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And Pilate's like, I mean, who even knows? See, truth is information. It's facts. But truth is also a person. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. Anything that is true is true because of and through Jesus Christ. Well, that is what truth is. What does it mean to speak the truth? See, you don't have to do any of the, um, you you don't do any of the above and follow the example of Christ. Um, so what what the, the truth is and how we speak the truth is we don't lie. We don't do any of the deception that we just talked about, and we act in accordance with what Christ did. See, First Peter two twenty one says this. Uh, uh, for you have been called for this purpose, you Christian. If you are a Christian, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. That's how Peter, quoting Isaiah 53, describes Jesus Christ. And it, I mean, so obviously, like, if you haven't sinned, you obviously didn't have any deceit in your mouth. But isn't that interesting that that's the emphasis? Oftentimes in Hebrew, you'll repeat something an extra time or two for emphasis. So the sin that we're emphasizing that Jesus didn't sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. It wasn't even there waiting to come out. In John eight forty six, Jesus speaks this to the Pharisees. He says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why don't you believe me? Well, so what does this mean for us? It means that we need to be bold because the world pushes lies on us constantly. And it's not the, like, the trending Twitter lies that we see that are really popular, like the, the lie of like there's multiple genders or that abortion's okay that you think of. There's lies that the world wants you to think that life is about you, and it's not. The world says, follow your heart. And we know that that's one of the last things that we should do. We've already talked about it. The world will say, speak your truth which is interesting because that implies that there's multiple truths. Um, 
There obviously can only be one truth, one false. They can only be, two things can't be true at the same time if they contradict. They'll say, hey, the problem isn't you. It's your circumstances, your ethnicity, it's other people, it's an economic system. But the problem is not you. It couldn't be you. Or the world say, hey, if you love someone, the best way to show that is by affirming them. Those are all lies that the world pushes on us constantly. And it mean, how we speak the truth is we set those lies aside and we don't propagate them. Instead, we say what is, what is accurate, what Christ would say. But that's not enough because we should ask the question, that, well, if we're supposed to speak the truth, how should we speak the truth? That's our next question. How should we speak the truth? Ephesians 4.15 gives us a great, a great picture of this, a great direct application. Paul wrote, but speaking the truth in love. That's how we should speak the truth. We should speak the truth in love. So, And I encourage you, Tom said he was, hopefully he preaches it this week, he's going to do a, a sermon just on love. And that will help you take apart what the world says love is versus what love actually is. But we should speak the truth in love. And guys, this is something that in our culture today is totally foreign. Totally foreign, because has any, the, the, another lie that the world tells, tells us it doesn't matter how we communicate, we just need to drop truth bombs. If you're going to speak the truth, just drop a truth bomb. And I know for guys your age, because I was there once, and these, some of these people even existed, but like, we can get trapped in by a lot of conservative and Christian mouthpieces that talk, and they, that's how they communicate. And it's a lot of guys you might listen to that may have helpful things to say, but people like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and Steven Crowder and Jordan Peterson, they have helpful things to say, but a lot of times the way they say it is completely unkind and unhelpful. Guys, we're, we, we should not be speaking the truth to then just see the, 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 the liberal woke tears come from what we have to say. That is not, and I think it's even uh, Ben Shapiro's organization, like, uh, they, have, they sell mugs that say leftist tears on the side of it. Like that, that's not our goal. To say something so that just someone just breaks down and like we've shattered their worldview. That is the opposite of how we should speak the truth in love. And I'm running short on time, but this is critical. Turn to John 4. How do we speak the truth in love? Turn to John 4. Because this is, this is just so important. If you take nothing away from this other than obviously don't lie. Speak the truth in love. And this is how we do it. We follow the example of Jesus. In Ephesians 5.1... Part of one of, in, in one of these six things, says, therefore be imitators of Christ. And that applies to all of this. If you imitate Christ the rest of your life, you'd be doing fine. But in speaking the truth in love, there's no better example in Scripture than John 4. Jesus and the woman of Samaria. If we look, starting in verse 13, they have been talking. Jesus answered to her and said, Anyone, everyone who drinks of this water... Will thirst again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the, the water that I will give him will become in him a well springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Jesus responds. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You write, you adulterous harlot. You don't have a husband because you cheated on him and you've married four other people. No, that's not what Jesus said. That isn't what he said at all. What it, that would have been true. But what did he say and said? He said, he said, 
you're, you've correctly said, you have no husband, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. So this you've said truly. And said he pointed out that she had a sin problem. But she had spoken accurately. You don't have a husband. You've had multiple husbands. And the one you have now, by Jewish law, isn't your husband. And why did he do that? Because he had a purpose to expose her sin. He did it by asking it a question. He didn't blow it up in her face. Because would she have been open to whatever he had to say after that? No. Wouldn't have been helpful. He was kind. He showed her the truth. He wasn't abrasive about it. He spoke the truth in love. And then what happened at the end of the story? She's saved and goes out and proclaims it to everyone around. This is how we should, how we should approach speaking the truth to people. Well, next, who should, who should speak the truth? Um, very clear application, each one of you. Each one of you. None of us are excluded from that, obviously. Colossians 9 is a parallel passage. It says, Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. If Jesus Christ is the truth, all Christians should speak the truth to each other. It's impossible for God to lie. So we should emulate that, and we, all of us who are in Christ, should speak the truth. And next, who should we speak it to? Scripture It says here, to his neighbor, and then one another. So we have two words. The first one is neighbor, and we know that everyone is our neighbor, right? They, they, they asked, the Pharisees asked the question, who's our neighbor? Because they wanted to be able to be mean to people that they didn't agree with. Um, but the, they, they, every, everyone functionally is our neighbor. We should act righteously. We should be Christ to everyone. But the focus of this passage isn't the relations of everyone. Remember, we're talking about unity. This is coming after a section on unity. So Paul wants us to focus on that. He's speak truth, speaking truth, each one of you to his neighbor. And he says, for we are members of one another. So the one another is we should really be focusing on here first because we can't create a church that, that pastors and evangelists equip the saints for the work of the body of Christ and then we're walking around lying to each other. It doesn't foster unity. It's not a functioning body. Lastly, the last question I'd ask is, well, why should we speak the truth? Why should we speak the truth? And Paul's reason is because we're members of one another. We're members of one another. Ephesians 4.4, 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Listen, guys, the reason that we do all of this, especially in the church, is because we're one body. We are united. One Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. So if we're in here lying to each other, that's going to destroy any unity. It's going to destroy any unity. Just think, think, think of any military operation, and they get a command to breach the wall at 2 o'clock. And everyone at each side, they're going to breach it at 2 o'clock in the morning. And one of the guys is like, yeah, he said 145. Bald-faced lies like, yeah, he said 145. What happens? Those guys would all get wiped out because they wouldn't be part of the coordinate attack. They would be 
disorganized, the unity would be destroyed just by one lie. And the same is true in the body of Christ, that if we act deceitfully with each other, we can't accomplish God's purposes because there is no deceit found in his mouth. So, thinking in application, how can we put this into practice? For the unbeliever here, if you're here and you're not saved, understand that you are living a lie. You're living a lie. You are living a lie of deceit. You have deceived yourselves and thinking that the gospel is either not for you or it's not, there are other options or it's not real. You have deceived yourselves and you are living a lie. You're living something that is not in accordance with reality because God is the creator of heaven and earth. He, man has sinned against him. Jesus Christ did come to live a life in our place, die and be raised from the dead. And if you reject that, you're rejecting reality. You have bought into a lie. So for you, you need to stop deceiving yourselves and believe the truth, if that is you today. Because you can't even speak the truth in a God-honoring way unless you believe the truth. If you're a believer here today, I'd ask that you just consider the types of deceit that we went through and just ask yourself, and maybe it's something good for a small group time, just talk about like different ways these kind of come up in your lives, and even if some of them are things you struggle with, outright lies, false promises, flattery, hypocrisy. Because our hearts are deceitful, deceit is something to struggle with because we can rationalize our way out of it. Speaking just from experience, none of us are exempt from this. It's so hard to even, even any sin, it, it builds a floor for any sin because our heart will just want to say, oh, well, that's fine. But no, we need to hold every thought captive and be imitators of Christ. And then lastly, you should apply this by speaking the truth. Speak the truth. Be diligent to hold every thought captive and speak the truth in love. We can do it as, as someone who, man, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was like king of, like before truth bombs were a thing, man, I was dropping them. And I can tell you one thing, when you live a life like that, um, you, you, rack up, you rack up friends very slowly because nobody wants to be around that. And the kind of attention you get, because that's, I mean, honestly, like that's what is there. When you're like dropping truth bombs, you want attention. That kind of attention you get, it's not worth it. And it's not what you really want. So we need to speak the truth and do it in love, in a way that honors Christ. And how we do that is we focus on the Word, because God's Word is truth. Scripture says the sum of God's Word is truth. God, the Spirit, is the Spirit of truth, and Jesus is the truth. And if we were immersed in His Word and prayer and asking for God to guide our thoughts and our hearts, we will speak the truth in love, because we'll be living in accordance to God's will and imitating our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we, we are humbled by this study because we know that deception is a sin that we all in some way or form struggle with. It is so easy to, to speak lies and believe lies, whether for convenience or for harm, just because we don't even care to think about 
what we're saying. Father, I pray that you would guide our thoughts and our hearts to be more obedient to you, that we would look at the life of our Lord and see how he loved so kindly, but that he was ready to speak the truth even when it was costly to himself or even may have been uncomfortable for the person he was confronting. But Lord, we know that ultimately it is for our eternal good that we we put this put off deceit and put on truth and speak truth because you are true. Your whole word is true. And we long to be like you, so we love to we love the truth. It's for Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.